0: Hey folks, Dr. Ed Williams here, talking about real estate for the facial plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon, aesthetic surgeon. Um, you know, I've been a big fan of real estate over the many years, and um, once you know, upon when someone's in practice a while and they're successful, this is a question that they ask themselves. You know, what about real estate? So. Let me just you know why am i why am i uh, maybe qualified to talk about this let me just uh share with you my uh, family and some of the lessons learned over the many many years of practical experience real estate but um first thing is i grew up in a real estate family my uh, parents had a real estate brokerage in 1968 my mom's it's still in her 80s and she still sells real estate. So I grew up around um, real estate, construction. In fact, uh, those of you who know, I, I spent 10 years on a dairy farm. I'm not exactly a handyman myself, but I've done pretty much everything. And that, that's helped me, um, you know, I'm not the kind of person to come home and swing a hammer, uh, but I've done so much of that stuff that I know how long things take to get done. Uh, and it's helped me over the years. Um, I've had a real estate license believe it or not between college and medical school I went out and got a real estate license and worked for my family's firm and when I was a senior in college in medical school I uh, took a commercial course in real estate trying to understand it uh, throughout my adult career I've probably owned 35 pieces of real estate uh, some with my wife and others just you know holdings um, And uh, I've divested a number of those over the years, too. I think we've got about seven holdings currently. So there are some pros and there are some cons of owning um, real estate. So let's talk about the pros first. Um, And the reason that I think this talk is uh, relevant is that we as professionals, uh, physicians, um, should look at this differently than the average person who's investing in real estate. But let's just talk about the pros that are kind of universal. Okay, one, is that it is a great way to uh, acquire wealth over time. Um, it, it is, there is no such thing as get rich in real estate, basically. Number two, it allows diversification. Um, we all look at our stock portfolio, and as we start to accumulate more and more and more, um, you know, every time the market has a hiccup or drops, we just recently went through COVID, right? Um, my real estate holdings don't change, and in fact, 2008- they soften a little bit, but that allows some stability um, with your investing. Um, If you use real estate for your uh, business, your practice, it allows you some stability to not have to move around, you know, pick up and move. There's a big cost to moving. And uh, so, you know, if you know where you want to be, um, it also, there's some control. You You have control in your destiny, in your, and, you know, Call it corny, right? But uh, also there is a pride of ownership. It's nice to own, you know, what you have. So there are some cons as well, though. It does require some time, and there is an occasional headache. I mean, you know, when I had brownstones with a partner, now and then, you know, once every couple of months, I have a little bit of a headache, 10, 15-minute phone calls and whatever, to get things done, you know, when that building appreciates couple hundred thousand dollars over the next year over the years you have it and you sell that um, is it worth those few headaches from time to time yeah it is it was for me but you know you can't it can't be beneath you to pick up the phone um there are some kinds of you have a rapid, so I can tell you in a business world, if you're a rapidly growing business, it doesn't make sense to buy your real estate. But typically, as we grow our practices, you know, we're having 20 or maybe 30% growth, but we're never having a business where we're just, you know, doubling and tripling every year and we're out, to quote, outgrow our space. Um, so, you, you know, and I'll explain my rationale a little bit later. So, in general, um, how do you make money in? real estate you know um which over time is the acquisition of wealth so on a regular there's basically four different ways you make money in real estate one is appreciation what do i mean by that you buy you know something for a hundred thousand dollars and many years later it's worth two hundred thousand dollars so um that is one way appreciation right two is cash flow what that means uh is is you have something that is bringing in $50,000 a year and your expenses are $40,000 a year, um, you have a $10,000 potential cash flow each month. Now, I can tell you from most real estate transactions, um, they kind of break even on paper. You get a depreciation benefit, and, and I'm not here to teach accounting, but on paper, you're typically not in a positive cash flow for most uh, real estate holdings that are rented out. Um, where you make money is over time, you get the depreciation of that. So even though on paper, maybe it's a cash flow positive, you're showing a loss against that. But by and large, the general rule of thumb in many, many of the real estate holdings I've had is that if you're bringing in thirty or $40,000, thirty or $40,000 is going out. So you typically don't make a lot on cash value. Number three is what we call sweat equity. You're adding value. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you buy something for, um, you know, let's just use numbers. You buy something for $250,000, you put $50,000 worth of sweat equity. You, you you know, you renovate a kitchen, you do this, you do that. And now instead of it worth being 300000 it's worth uh, $350,000. You can't bank on that. And the more you get involved and swing the hammer yourself, the more you're going to gain on sweat equity. Again, I'm not one to swing a hammer. Um, and I, I don't think it's a good use of our time. And, and certainly not worth getting hurt. So I, I don't know that that is relevant for most. And then the fourth way, which really isn't, um, it's paying down the principal. So again, you buy something, you buy for you know, whatever, you get a 300000 half a million dollar building, right? And and you get a mortgage for 400000 you put down 20%, that's typically what a bank will allow you to do loan value. And then that $400,000 over the next 10 years, you're paying down. So when you go to sell it, right, it's appreciated. As I mentioned before, it's worth $600, and you only owe three. So when you sell that, you have to pay capital gains tax, of course, but you have a $300,000 um, between appreciation and paying down your principal. So the fourth way is really paying down the principal. So, as a professional, as as a surgeon, as an aesthetic surgeon, dermatologist, um, you know, let's talk about different, some different real estate holdings. Uh, What about your home? Well, I would encourage you, as I've mentioned before, to read The Millionaire Next Door. Probably your home is not your best investment uh, for most of us, you know, there's a big myth in young professionals. Go out and buy the biggest home you can afford. And that is absolutely not the case because your home has a lot of expenses uh, with it. There is, uh, especially now in the blue the states that got uh, uh, no longer can have SALT, which is state and local taxes deduction. Um, you, you know, you're, you're basically your home is your expense. There's an old saying, and I believe it's about accurate you should consider your home expenses in um, your home real estate to be 1% of the, of the cost per month, okay? 10 to 12% per year. So what does that mean? And if you have a $2 million home, um, we're talking $20,000 a month. Now, people say, oh, that's crazy. Well, lawn service, maintenance, repairs, taxes, uh, the gardener, you know, the more expensive home you have, the more you have to keep up with the Joneses, and the more maintenance you have. So I don't necessarily agree, and this is very consistent with the millionaire next door. Now, I have what a lot of people would consider a very substantial home now, but I did it with money that I had left over. In other words, my first many years, we lived very conservatively. Didn't try to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, we renovated an old farmhouse because I loved the old farmhouse charm. We added the barns. When we ended up selling it, you know, 10 years later, we probably... Broke even on paper, um, but it was our pride and joy, and we loved the home. What I'm, I guess I'm cautioning people about is realize that your home is more, is much, or more of an expense than it is an investment. So that myth is, you know, uh, is absolutely true. Don't, um, you know, don't try to have a status symbol. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. If you really want to accumulate wealth and have financial independence. So let's talk about a professional building or or uh, you know owning your condo. Well, in my opinion, um, if you are younger, and, and in other words, it's a different decision, right? If you're 35 versus if you're 65. You have know, 65, you're toward the end of your career. 50, 55, it's questionable. But if you're 35 or 40 or 45, pushing 50. And you are going to stay in business. You're gonna stay in practice. It's somewhat of a no-brainer, depending on your age. Um, If you can buy a building and owner occupy 50% of it or more, you'll get more favorable financing. Um, And and I think that's a pretty good strategy. What I did is built a building that we could occupy about 50% of it. We have a 21,000 square foot facility now. We, are, we fully occupy the entire, uh, uh, sh- other than about 3,000 square feet, and we're growing into that this year. And that's over 20 years. Uh, we have nice, sustained, slow growth added year after year. But the beauty of either buying something that you can grow into or building something that you can grow into and being just over the 50%. One, you're going to get better financing, but it allows you to grow and take over and expand without having to pick up and move because as I mentioned picking up and moving so you know that's why it is so important to pick your location right so sometimes people say to me well you know should I do it with others now if I don't have I mean there's only really one reason to uh there's definitely a downside to owning it with others so let's talk about this for a minute you know There's pluses and minuses. And and one of the minuses of owning it with others is um, you're giving up the potential to make more money, bottom line. You're sharing your equity with someone else. You're having to make decisions with someone else. You may not agree on things. Uh, I have learned over the years that I will take the risk myself. It makes my life easier. I make decisions on things uh, in the car versus a meeting. So... But you, I see a lot of our colleagues owning a building, owning surgery centers, owning things with other people. Now, if you're in practice with someone, yeah, you want to share that asset with them. You want to share the way. You want to share some equity. But in reality, the only real reason to do it with someone else is to mitigate your risk. If you believe in yourself and you believe in your business and, and you know you're going to grow and you're not going to fall, you know, and you, then why would you um, invest with other people? Um, I just think that I I would say probably 80-90% of my colleagues that I see doing this invest with other people. And I think it's really just it gives them a a level of comfort to maybe be with other people. And that's fine. I get that. Let's talk about a condominium. You know, you're going to buy a condominium in a building versus, um, you know, building your own freestanding. I believe that if you're going to be in practice for 20 or 30 more years, right, or maybe 10 or more, you're probably still better off buying the condominium than renting it. At least you have some equity at the end of it. Uh, but make no mistakes that owning a condominium, even if you uh, own it outright, unless you're in a really, really favorable location that's going to continue to go up in value, most of the time the condominium doesn't do as well as a freestanding building. That's a generalization, but I, I think it's... Uh, you know it's something to know. So what are the downside of owning your own big ba- you know, building? Well, management fee, just so you know, is gonna be somewhere around five percent. Let's just so if you've got a thirty thirty thousand dollar rent roll each month, three down five, you're paying paying fifteen hundred bucks for someone to manage the building. Now, we've done this with some of our the buildings I, things I've owned, but in by and large i ninety five percent of the building holdings i have we manage them themselves ourselves we have an economy of scale now um and what i do in our building is we have a maintenance person we have a guy george before georgia was ernie and typically find someone who's you know retirement-ish age and you know isn't really ready to do that we give them 20 hours a week and they wander around the building and they're constantly changing filters you know when the the plow uh, plowing contract needs to be renegotiated Renegotiated each year, they meet with the three different, you know, three different, yeah, three different bids. You know they're wise enough; they've been around the block, and and they will interface with our COO um, or me. I mean, sometimes I get involved, but but by and large, um, and and it, it, that's worked really, uh, really well. Um, there is no shortcuts. You, you want to make sure that you you know you set up a separate LLC, a separate entity, and pay fair market rent. Uh, with leases, I mean, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right, um, and have don't have the accounting commingled. Have it all separate, and um, and you can't just overpay on rent because then if you're audited by the IRS, they're going to think you're basically trying to avoid the three percent social security or whatever. So it's important to just set up. It's not that complicated though. Any real estate attorney can help you set it up, and you do it on QuickBooks. Um, but it is important to get operating agreement. By, and, and if you're going to be in a partnership with someone, you know, please take the time to put an LLC and operating agreement together where you have buy sell death provisions and all that stuff. You know, no one wants to be partner with you know somebody's wife, or if, God forbid they go through a, a marital split and you're having to try to figure that all out. If you've got it all set up in an operating agreement, it's done the right way. Um, you're totally protected. So, um, you know, what are the downsides? You're gonna have issues along the way. I mean, you know You're gonna have some hassles along the way. I mean, I don't know once a year our alarm goes off and I get a phone call You know, Uh, do I have to run to the building? Oh, I mean usually the police go there and whatever But there are some hassles. I mean, but I I, I look at it's been one of our best holdings and you know, I talk about diversification in real estate and I you know, for us and my my wife and I, about a third of our holdings now are in real estate. Um, and that, you know, that gives us a great degree of stability and pride of ownership. It's nice to look at something and know you own it. You know, when you open up your state your bank account, you just look in or whatever, it just in cash and so it is nice to have that. So what are the what are the other benefits of um, owning your own? Well. Signage. You know, the building we put in, there were seventeen thousand cars a day going by there. Seventeen thousand. Now we have about thirty to thirty-five thousand cars a day going by our facility, looking at our sign. You know, there's a there's a real estate guy in our area, locally, who used to do a lot of billboard ads. He basically bought a a little building near us just to put up a big sign. Uh, Think about the signage uh, value there. You know. So there's that benefit. You, you know, control. You can control your expenses. You know, your rent you know, is going to get jacked up. Um, so again, you're acquiring you know, acquiring wealth. Wealth, and I'll give you you know, say an example of uh, you know, you buy a building and you put it in for two million. I'm just using numbers here, but and then you pay over you know, ten years. You get a fifteen year note and you pay it down, and you owe you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars on it, right? And now the building's worth, you know, $3 million. Um, then you refinance. And here's the thing is, when you refinance it, so say you refinance, let's say 70% of the $3 million. So that's $2.1 million. And you owe 600000 That $1.3 million that you have refinanced, that money is your money. You don't have to pay tax on it. I mean, you'll have to pay capital gains and you sell, but that money is your money to reinvest. And I have done that twice now over the twenty-some years that we've had the building, and that allows you. I put that money in the market. I've used it to buy other projects. Um, it allows you to leverage yourself in ways that you're not able to do by just doing another case in the O.R. So there are some, you know, some uh, definite benefits um, to that. Um, the other thing is you, you know, you're buying in that location, and so why is the location so? you always hear in real estate right location 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 why is that so important well it's beyond the obvious and this is a perspective i have now having been in a great spot for 22 years um and here it is when it comes time to gut and renovate a kitchen or renovate your office space you know it's gonna let's just use a number let's say it costs you three hundred thousand to do that all right um you're going to put that if you put that $300,000 in an amazing location uh you know it may cost you a couple bucks more because you're in a higher rent district but the reality is you you're going to get a lot more you're going to leverage that $300,000 a lot more than if you go put $300,000 in a camp that's out in a remote area you get my point um so that is why picking the location is so important the other thing with location is they tend to go up in value more than things now you know, it, it's obviously you've got to you know you got to shop it but they will go up and go up in value a lot more um when you're in the right location so i'm going to talk to you about a couple of rules of thumb if you're considering buying real estate number one you make money the day you buy it my dad used to say this all the time you make money in real estate the day you buy it what does that mean you cannot overpay for real estate you know, if you overpay, say you buy something for a million bucks and you overpay, I don't know, fifty thousand, hundred, it takes you years to recover it. If you buy it for nine hundred and you know, because you've shopped like a like a pair of shoes or anything else, you know that the day that you buy it for nine hundred and it's worth a million, you made a hundred thousand dollars that day. So you make money the day you buy it. Number two rule of thumb in real estate, and that is. That is true in any business. You cannot overpay. Uh, Number two is there is no such thing as quick, quick, get, quick, rich. It's the acquisition of wealth over time. Okay, so I often get asked, and, you know, my wife wanted me to do some flipping, you know, flipping houses. Why does this or does it not make sense for a professional? Say you really love the whole thing. You say, I want to start flipping houses. It doesn't make good sense for most professionals, unless unless you're going to hold it for 18 months. Now, my one business partner and I uh, did a bunch of brown. We had a half a dozen brownstones in the Center Square area in Albany, New York, and we did well with them. But we held them for a period of time. And here's the reason why: in 18 months, you will pay... so it goes from 300,000 to four. Let's say you, you know you do sweat equity deal and you have got 300 into somebody sell for four. All right. If you flip that, and I'm using low numbers, but I'm just using numbers, okay? You flip that, so no, you know, you you got about three hundred into something, or one million into something, and you sell it for one point five, right? And you flipped it. The problem with that is uh, you're paying ordinary income on something that you've only owned for eighteen months. Now let's just you let's just throw some numbers out there. I bought something for three hundred. I put a hundred into it. My basis is four hundred thousand. That's what I have on my money in We sell it for five twenty-five. Okay. Now, if you hold it less than eighteen months and you flip it, because most of us are in the high income bracket, every new dollar you make, you're paying forty percent federal, in, in New York State, you're paying twelve percent state. So fifty-two percent more than half of the $125,000 you're paying in tax. So you're netting maybe 60, 65 on um, all of that work and risk, not worth it, right? I mean, you're better off going out and doing another you know, few facelifts or you know, doing what you do well. And that is different from someone else who's making $100,000 a year. They're not in your income tax bracket. So flipping doesn't make sense for most uh, people who are in the higher income bracket. We did well with the brownstones because we uh, held them for a period of time, uh, added value, and then we got capital gains. So what is capital gains rate? It's 23.8%. It used to be 15%, but with the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act and, and, and increasing the capital gains to 20%, it's now 23.8%. So on $100,000, you're paying 23.8% federal versus 40 so it's a more favorable situation, at least if you're if you're going to hold something. So, bottom line is, flipping doesn't really make sense for uh, most uh, most professionals that are in a higher income bracket. So, um, I, I talked again. Other rule of thumb: location, location, location. I already um, covered that that when you go to renovate and you, you you're able to leverage your money more when you're in a really good location. And that actually can help your business. Number four, a rule of thumb is as a non builder, you don't get the passive depreciation loss. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but builders, if you can show and they have to show they're doing their continuing education and they truly are a builder, they can take a million dollar loss on a big project and take that passive loss and take it against their income on other projects in other efforts as a builder. We can't do that. So we lose the passive depreciation law. So if I say I don't want to give me that a lot of detail, but that's another rule of thumb. So you know you hear your friends say, Well, I, I haven't paid income tax in years and they're a builder, it, they're in a different category than you are. And you can't take that passive loss. You lose a million dollars over here, uh, you can't take your passive loss over here and then apply it to your ordinary income that you are in business. So um, and then the fin- finally, the last rule of thumb is that real estate should carry itself. Uh, you should not ever have a situation where you are in a uh, negative cash flow situation. Okay, By and large, if you do things right, you get a mortgage for no more than 80% owned value, you get your taxes, you get your income, uh, your rent, is. it should carry itself. No one wants a piece of real estate that you're actually having to... Uh, um they throw money at and this is this is why typically land and speculation doesn't necessarily work i'm not interested i own some land but uh without getting into that in a lot of detail but i can tell you you can lose your shirt over years buying a big hunk of land and going through you know you're dealing with municipalities and you're dealing with um you know the the uh, holding costs and development costs and all these things you can't take that loss against your ordinary income like a, like a builder can. So typically, speculation, land development, uh, is not really a good investment for more, most most um, healthcare professionals. So um, important to keep that in mind. Uh, your bill your asset, your real estate uh, as a professional should really uh, should really um, carry itself. Um, let me see here. Yeah, because as I was saying, you know, as an investment. You can't assume that a plus b equals uh, a a plus b on the other side of the equation, uh, right? And, and what that means um, is this: you can't assume because I'm going to go in, I'm going to buy this land, I'm going to buy it for a half a million bucks, and I'm going to put a half a million bucks in it, then I'm going to get a million or two or three out. Um, it doesn't always work that way. So when you're dealing, you know, with developments and permits and all that other stuff, um, commercial building, you know. One that you're not going to own, uh, work in itself. Uh, I'm going to talk to some specific examples here because I already talked about land, why it doesn't typically make good sense for us. Um, Would I invest in a building that I wasn't going to occupy? And and the answer is this if you have a tenant driven situation, okay, the answer is yes. In other words, as a professional going out and buying, building something on speculation. Uh, in other words, build it and they will come, don't do that. It's not a strategy. Um, and I learned this from a very successful commercial development firm. Commercial he said to me, he goes, Ed, I'll go build a building, but I don't ever just build something on speculation. I don't build houses on speculation. I don't build commercial. If I can get someone who's going to take a big anchor tenant, who's going to sign a 10-year lease, and especially if it's a big medical practice, because medical practices don't really ever go bankrupt, right? Um you got to win. If you can get someone who's going to be there for 10 years and sign a 10-year lease, um, it's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, single-family residences can be challenging for physicians. There tend to be a, a lot more work involved. And I know a buddy of mine who did this in Florida and decided to roll a bunch of them up, and he ended up liquidating and getting out. Um, brownstones, I did, like I said, I did those with a, a bunch of brownstones with a partner of mine The deal was I was going to fund the finances and he was going to handle all the headaches and the project. Um, We did it for six, seven, eight years. Uh, I made money at the end of it. Why did I get out? Because my partner was, um let me put it this way. Uh, I ended up getting a lot of the phone calls because they weren't getting answered. And I had to get more involved than I wanted. And I was like, I'm out. And we sold them, and we did fine and we made money. Uh, paid capital gains. In fact, I rolled it at 1031 into another project, which I'm not going to talk about. 1031. Well, maybe I'll talk about it briefly. But basically, if you have a if you have a piece of real estate and you it's worth a million and you grow it to two, okay, and you sell it, um, you pay the difference in capital gains. Now, if you depreciated the building from a million down to a half a million, and you, it's increased in value to two million, now you pay capital gains on 1.5 million dollars, right? Um, but if you buy a like property, you can actually, if you know, for that $3 million, you can actually buy that property with the $3 million and you don't pay, you basically defer the tax. You're always going to pay the tax. You may pay it at death, but you can defer it. So there are some benefits uh, of that. Um, my other rules of thumb with real estate for the professionals, as I mentioned earlier, and I just want to highlight your personal resident as a rule of thumb, you should, um, Buy this and live it with money you have left over. Don't consider that um, a great investment. So, um, and let's see. And I think that's it. Look, this isn't meant to be a comprehensive discussion on real estate, but having you know, grown up in a family and I've learned a lot of lessons over the years, um, real estate has been one of the best things for me because I understand it. Um, I don't put a ton of time into it. But right now, we have a 21,000-square-foot facility. We have our operating rooms there. Um, it's been a great situation for us. And quite frankly, I have a tangible asset. You know, if my tar- partners approach me and they want to buy it, I'm all in. You three appraisals and you buy it. You know, buy it if I, you know, once I'm out. Um, so it has real value. You know, some are certain businesses you can't sell, right? But real estate, you can always sell. So while this is not meant to be a comprehensive uh, discussion on real estate, I wanted to share my thoughts because I get this question a lot from my colleagues. So thank you so much for listening. Um, please send me your comments. Please send me your questions, thoughts, and especially if you have any new topics uh, you'd like me to cover in the upcoming sessions. We're going to talk about uh, next time. We're going to talk about how we emerged successfully and, and why, how we did so well coming out of COVID. I thought that is, I think is a real interesting discussion because quite frankly, I think we are in better shape now and COVID was somewhat of a blessing. And it sounds crazy, right? But, uh, but it's true. So hope you enjoy this. Let me know your thoughts, comments, and please give me some other topics for the future.